0: Well, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. Morning. Wow, three good mornings. Good morning. Good. We'll get you woken up. All right, it's going to be with you. Uh, my name is Chris Warzowski. I have the privilege of serving as one of our campus life pastors at the Lewis Center campus. However, I am so elated to be with my Plain City campus friends today because uh, I know many of you—not all of you—but if I don't know you, come meet me afterwards. We can be friends. It'll be good. And uh, but I know some of you because I had the privilege of helping to plant this campus just a little over a year ago, and it's so good to be with you on a really important day for our church. Uh, honestly. Uh, we've been in a series uh, for a few weeks that we call Wide Open World. And so uh, this series is is really key for us as we think about missions and our Wide Open World offering. And really the uh, the centerpiece of this series is one of our core values. We have five core values at LifePoint, and one of them is reaching priority. And what we mean by that is we're willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to reach priority the one and and we believe that as we say yes to God that he is both able everybody say able, able. this is good and he is also faithful everybody say faithful good. y'all are on it now all right i got you at the good morning now you now you're ready to go yes we believe that as we say yes to God that he is both able and faithful I recently read a a story about a man named uh, Sandeep, who's in Southeast Asia, and he's a a partner with our network of churches. And Sandeep just felt a burden to to really leave his home and go in his region of the world and, and just go reach people for Jesus. And he ended up reaching a remote city where families hadn't eaten anything for about three days. As soon as he got there, he knew this is this is why I said yes to God. And so he gets there and, and he found the right community to serve. And so he got, um, he got on the phone with our network. Our network of churches was able to resource him and they were able to distribute ration kits of flour, lentils, and spices. And he asked the villagers there if they wanted to hear about a man named Jesus who called himself the bread of life. And there was a young man in the village who replied and said this to Sandeep. He said, you, a stranger, you came and you cared for us. We don't know why, but we want to listen to anything you will tell us about your God. Just by Sandeep saying yes, one, a whole community of people people ended up having the resources they needed for survival and life-saving nutrition. And God took Sandeep's yes. And through Sandeep and through our network of churches, you know, in that region, 7,000 people have now heard the gospel and had access to life-saving nutrition. Sandeep just simply said yes to God. And God was both able and he was faithful. You know, throughout the scriptures, God has been telling us the grand story of redemption. And we see how God uses different individuals in different contexts, in different times, and even in different cultures to move the story forward. Um, but God doesn't just tell the story, He invites us to experience and participate in his story. Uh, There's a great theologian I like, his name is Chris Wright, and he wrote this really long, kinda dry book called, um, called The Mission of God. But on the very first page of the book, he simply puts, listen, it's God's mission, but the privilege is that God invites us to be part of his mission and to be part of his story. And so today, we're gonna look at the example of Ruth, and we're gonna see how God uses her, yes, in the grand story of redemption, And we're going to look at how God might use you and I as well. And so if you have your Bibles, great. We also have the LifePoint app. You can just go on the the app store on your phone and look up LifePoint Ohio. Uh, If if this is your first time, so glad that you're here. You can go to lpguest.com and look up the notes there as well. And you can follow along. But we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. And then I'm going to read verses 3 to 5 as well. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab; he and his wife and his two sons. In verse three, both Elimelech, the husband, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So really, the story of Ruth really begins with the story of Naomi. Uh, she and her husband, they have two sons, and they're, they're um, from Bethlehem. And during a time of great famine, they sojourn over to Moab, Uh, in order to to find a better life. Food was hard to come come by, and so they're they're hoping to find food out there. And while in Moab, their two sons married two local gals named Ruth and Orpah. And no, not Oprah, the very famous talk show host from the 90s. So interesting story, the things you learn on the internet. Found out this week by looking up a little bit about this name, Orpah, that Oprah was in fact named Orpah as a child, but people had trouble pronouncing it the correct way, so she just ended up being called Oprah. For the rest of her life, things you learn in church, right? And let me just tell you, having the last name Warszawski, I can totally empathize. All right, more often than not, people get my name wrong too. So, um, so while living in Moab, uh, Naomi and her family, unfortunately, they experience tragedy. First, Naomi she loses her husband; he dies. And then about a decade later, she loses both of her sons. They die. And so Naomi is living with her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah and Moab, and they are facing certain poverty. Now, I think we hear that word poverty, and we immediately think of not having life's necessities, right? Not having uh, clean water to drink, not having food, shelter, um, clothing. Um, But when it comes to poverty, uh, that's definitely part of it, but it's not all of it. Uh, a few years ago, uh, a friend of mine told me about this really great book called Helping Without Hurting. If, if you're the type of person, if you're a, a high compassion person and you want to help those in need, this book was uh, super helpful to me and helped me think maybe a little bit better and a little bit more biblically about what poverty really is. And, and the book talks about how in the scriptures we see that God has established really four core foundational relationships for human beings. One, our, our relationship with him, God himself, Uh, Two, our relationships with ourselves and who we understand who we are and our identity. Uh, Three, our relationships with others. And four, our relationship with creation. And when all of these relationships are functioning in the way that they're designed, that's where we see human flourishing, which is what we all want, right? We want to flourish. We want to see people flourish. We want to see our friends and our families, our neighborhoods, our community, our country, the world. We want to see people flourish flourish, but the problem is poverty is when brokenness enters into any of these foundational relationships. And just like Naomi, we have each experienced brokenness in these relationship relationships, excuse me. So here's a truth that we need to realize for today that everyone needs redemption. Everyone needs redemption. One, Naomi experiences uh, brokenness in her relationship with God. In In the face of famine, her and her family, they move away from Bethlehem uh, towards their people and towards Moab. And at, at this point in the history of God's people, you think about in the context of the scriptures, at this point, there was a significant correlation of your proximity to God's people and your proximity to the tabernacle where God's presence was set to be, your proximity to that really had to do a lot with your proximity to God. But they move away from that, away from him and towards Moab, a place where there was a lot of spiritual poverty. Uh, Moab was a place known to have idols that the book of 1 Kings called abominations. Uh, part of this was because there's a reference to human sacrifice um, being in correlation with worship of some of these gods. It was not a great place. It was spiritually impoverished. And this helps us Maybe it reminds us that we all need spiritual redemption because we all experience spiritual poverty. Every one of us, Romans 3.23 tells us that every one, every one of us, we have fallen short of God's standard. Romans 3 says that God's glory, his standard, every one of us have sinned and we've fallen short of that. And so what happens is sin creates a fracture. It creates brokenness and separation between us and God a perfect, holy God, and so what do we need? We need someone to redeem us, someone to restore us, to heal that brokenness and restore us back to God. Brokenness in Naomi's relationship with the rest of creation also brought poverty into her life. This is where we see the famine. It causes her family to move from their homeland. First, it takes her husband's life, and then the family. The famine eventually takes her son's. Now, because her husband and sons are no longer alive in the type of culture that they, and time that they live, she is really bereft of the opportunity for a livelihood. In that culture, older widows were some of the most economically marginalized people in the world. Brokenness has entered Naomi's relationship with others. Because of death, relationships that matter to her are no longer present. And for so many of us, for you and for I, we have experienced that before. We know what that's like. Uh, This past week, I had the privilege of leading a funeral for a really fantastic lady. She was a mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, in a lot of ways, the spiritual rock of her family. And as I talk with her family, her kids, and some of her grandkids, just realize that there's just a sense of lostness, of just brokenness, that they can no longer have conversations. They can no longer lean on her wisdom, right? You and I have, we have felt that before. Whether relationships are now absent because of death or they're strained through conflict, we experience almost a sense of relational malnourishment when a relationship that was important to us is no longer there. And brokenness has entered Naomi's relationship with herself as as well, especially in regard to her identity. In Naomi's time and culture, so much of your identity was connected to your family. But now her husband is gone, her sons are gone, and she has no grandchildren. And she'll begin to tell people as she moves towards her hometown, she begins to tell people, don't call me Naomi more. That means sweet or pleasant. She says, call me Mara. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Bitter. She has lost her sense of identity to the point where she can only lean into the reality of her bitterness. See, poverty is experienced whenever brokenness enters any of these foundational relationships. And yet, even when brokenness is evident, God is still active. Even when hardship and affliction are realities, God is still active. He is still working. Ruth chapter 1 verse 6 says that she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Even in her affliction, even in her loss, there is echoes of God's activity that reach Naomi's ears. So she chooses to go back to her hometown of Bethlehem. And this is where she begins to have very difficult conversations with her daughters-in-law, who she loves. She tells them that she's going to be homeless, she's going to be under-resourced, and the best chance that they have for a livelihood and for survival is for them to stay in Moab, go back to Moab, be with your family, be with your friends. You have an opportunity for a life there. And so Orpah says, okay, I'm going to stay in Moab with my people, my family, and no one blames her for that. No one blames her. And Naomi tries to convince Ruth to do the same. However, Ruth chooses to cling to Naomi. Here's what she says. Ruth chapter one, verse 16 to 17. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Ruth is a hero of the faith, and here's why because in her fully committing to Naomi, she really fully commits to the Lord. Ruth's yes to Naomi was really her yes to Naomi's God, Yahweh. And this is the example that we ought to follow when it comes to giving Jesus our yes. Ruth is willing to go wherever Naomi goes, even if that means leaving a comfortable and safe life. Ruth is saying, your God, Naomi, your God is better than my comfort. uh, Ruth is willing to do whatever Naomi asks her to do, even if that means letting go of what she's known to be part of something completely new. And Ruth is willing to give whatever she needs to give. See, Ruth understands what she's ultimately doing is she is placing her life in the hands of Yahweh. That's what she's doing. And Ruth experiences a miracle. She wins an argument with an (laughs) in-law. Sorry, I had to do it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, Naomi says no more. But in all seriousness, when we look at Ruth's example, we have to ask ourselves, a really important, often difficult question. Does God have my yes? Does God have my yes? Am I willing to go wherever it is, wherever it is that he asks me to go? Am I willing to do whatever it is he asks me to do? Am I willing to give whatever it is that he asks me to give? Even when I don't know what the results are gonna be. Even if all the circumstances don't seem ideal and, and what I would prefer them to be, even if I feel uncomfortable, am I willing to say yes to see the story of redemption move forward? You know, Naomi couldn't rescue herself from the brokenness that permeated her life. She needed somebody to stand in the gap for her, to bring her in proximity to the Redeemer who could rescue them both from that brokenness. And that's what Ruth does. Ruth 2 verses 1 and 2 and then I'm going to skip down to verse 11 and 12. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. Verse 11. But Boaz said to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You know, the text specifically here calls Ruth, Ruth, the Moabite. Ruth, the Moabite. Why is that significant? Well, what you have to understand about the Moabites and the Jews is they were kind of like the Hatfields and the McCoys, all right, or the the north and the south during the Civil War. See, during the time of the Exodus, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, they had need for food and for water, and the Moabites were there, and they had every opportunity to resource them, care for them, and help them, and they did nothing. They did nothing. Now what we see is Ruth the Moabite going out into the fields in the hot sun with no protection from the dangers there, working the portions of the field that were left over for the poor just to provide enough food for her and for her mother-in-law to survive. See, in her actions, Ruth is stepping into the gap and she's flipping a legacy of brokenness on its head she is flipping that legacy. Instead now, she, as a Moabite, she is stepping in in generosity to bring someone in proximity to the Redeemer, Boaz. The only one able to redeem Naomi and Ruth. And what happens is she begins to be honored by the Redeemer. And God will use her yes in a, as a catalyst for redemption. And this is a picture of what God does with us. See, we're not able to do anything except just give our yes. But who's able? God is able. And who's faithful? God is faithful. And so God uses our yes to bring redemption to the broken. I mean, that's the point of missions, isn't it? Where we hear and where we see God's activity, we just simply say yes to him. And we trust him to bring redemption wherever there is brokenness because we want people in Ohio and we want people in the Midwest and we want people in and throughout the world to come to know the Redeemer. So here's what we're gonna do. Beginning today through next Saturday, everything that's given financially Is gonna go to missions. This is something we do every year across our campuses. This is our church's way across all of our campuses to say yes to God. God, what where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? What do you want us to give? And we're gonna trust you that you are able and that you are faithful to accomplish your mission in the world. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to do the same thing that our family is gonna do this week. We're gonna pray. And we're going to seek the Lord. And we're asking God, God, what does obedience look like for us? What does obedience look like? What should our yes look like? God, show us what that is, and we're going to say yes to you. Now, some of us, we're going to give our normal offerings, and that's awesome. But for some of us, God is going to ask you to do a little bit more, maybe abundantly more. And that's awesome, too. So last year, our wide open world offering was $202,000. Last year, we were able to send 84 people to eight different countries across five different continents, and we were blessed to see over 400 people come to Christ. 400 people. In addition to giving half of that to support our partners who are planting churches. So here's what we're praying for this year. We're praying for $325,000. We want to send at least 150 people short term on trips. And we want to see at least two families or individuals go on longer term missions. There is so much opportunity for us to say yes to God and just trust that he's faithful. That as we say yes, people are going to experience the Redeemer. So there's this uh, collegiate uh, church planning network in Iowa. And what they do is they plant a church near a college campus. They begin a ministry for students there. And as freshmen come in, they build relationships, invite them to be part of their ministry. They begin to disciple them and give them for a vision for when they graduate, where, what college can they go to where they can plant a church and then have a ministry? And they multiply campuses that, that way. Over the past 10 years, this collegiate uh, church planting network that we partner with, they've been able to cover almost the entire Big Ten. Um, and so this year, we're going to partner with their newest church plant at Purdue University. All right. Any Purdue fans in here? Because this is your opportunity. Okay. Ready? Boiler up. Right? Hammer down, all right, good, good. All right, Purdue fans. So listen, we'll show a picture of Jordan and Jessamy Adams. Uh, They're leading our plant there at Purdue. Um, Pray for them, but we're excited to partner with them what God is gonna do through them, through that church there. Um, You know, it's funny. uh, Why would really sharp college students take less in terms of income to try to reach people who don't always really care a ton? Think about that for a second. I mean, what if your college graduate came home and said, "Listen, I could probably make eighty to ninety thousand here, but what I want to do is I want to go to West Lafayette and make fifty thousand and help plant a church with friends." Why would they do that? Because they trust God with their yes. And it doesn't always have to be this, this drastic. God is going to use our everyday life in his mission. Uh, I've got a friend, John. He goes to our Delaware campus. And uh, if you remember, a couple months ago, we had our playlist series, and we gave out little cards for us to invite friends. So John has this card. He hasn't invited anybody, and he's driving, and he stops in an intersection, and he's just praying at this intersection, hand on the steering wheel, just praying, saying, God, I have not done a good job inviting somebody, but if you would just make it clear to me who I should invite, i I'll do that. Well, not more than a few seconds later, a coworker is driving by, honks her horn, waves with a big smile on her face. And he just looks up and says, okay, Lord, thanks. That was, you answered that. So he invited her to church. She's been coming to church for our last, for our last six weeks. Why would sane people do these things? Why? One word, Redemption. You know, there's a great story of redemption here in the book of Ruth. And I wish we could get into um, the details and the nuance and, and every kind of step that happens. But y'all don't want to stay till 3 o'clock today, do you? Oh, you laughed. Okay, that's, there you go. All right, so very good. So, um, But however, what God does is he redeems both Ruth and Naomi. He provides for their future. And we see Ruth and Boaz would end up getting married. Ruth chapter four, verses 13 to 15. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. God brought redemption in every area of Naomi's life where there was brokenness. Where there was brokenness with creation that resulted in hunger and famine, he brought life and nourishment. Where there was loss and the grief of a husband and sons, he brought comfort to Naomi. And he brought the commitment of a faithful daughter-in-law. The local women say to Naomi, Ruth is better than seven sons. You know, seven is the number of completion. And in in a society where most everything hinges on men, seven sons represents a complete, comfortable life. They're saying to Naomi, the grace you receive from Ruth is better. And I'll just say it to you this way God's grace for us is better than a comfortable life. I'm going to say that to myself one more time, okay? God's grace for us is better than a normal life or a comfortable life. Where there was brokenness in how she viewed herself, she was Naomi again, but because she tasted the sweet and pleasant grace of God. And when it seemed like Naomi had left the Lord, God had not left her, but he was providing a means of redemption, not only for her, but for you and I as well. Ruth and Boaz's son, his name was Obed, and Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David, and David would become King David, and from King David's line would come the King of Kings, the Redeemer of the world, and 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus generously gave himself up to redeem you, to redeem me. He's our redeemer. He gave up the glory and the riches of heaven. He came down to earth. He took on flesh, born into poverty, and gave himself up to pay our spiritual debt in order to redeem us, to buy us back and heal that brokenness, that fracture between us and God. And he is in the business of bringing redemption wherever there is brokenness, in Ohio, in the Midwest, and throughout the world. And that same redeemer can bring healing and restoration and redemption in your life as well. If you don't have that God relationship through Christ, you can step into that today by simply saying yes to Jesus. I wanna give you an opportunity to do that now. Would you bow your heads? Lord, we thank you that you are the great redeemer. Lord, you have not left us to our brokenness, but you came to us and you offered yourself up so that we might have a relationship with God the Father again. So if you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never said, Jesus, I know you're enough to forgive me for my sin. I know you're enough to bring me into relationship with God. This is your opportunity. You just simply say yes to him. And God, for any of us in this room that are feeling the effects of brokenness, maybe we have conflict with a friend or with family. Maybe we're wrestling with loss and grief. God, maybe there's financial need, relational need, whatever it is. God, you are in the business of redemption. Lord, would you meet us at those places where we have need? Would you meet us, meet us at those places of brokenness? And God, would you help us taste your sweet and your pleasant grace? And God, for us as a church, Lord, help us to join you. God, would you give us the faith and the courage to say yes to you? to do whatever it is that you ask us to do, to go wherever it is that you ask us to go and give whatever it is that you ask us to give. God, I pray that our yes would be on the table for whatever it is, God, and that we would trust you in your faithfulness, Lord. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.